Well, this morning we're continuing in Philippians chapter 1. You can see in your bulletin the title of the sermon is Joyful Participation in the Gospel. Playing football in college was a great experience. I can remember as a young freshman, nervous and not really knowing what was going on at the collegiate level as you go from high school to college. Things were bigger in college. Bigger locker room, bigger weight room, bigger stadium, and bigger players. And when you see these older guys as you show up, on day one, you see these older guys that are there on the team and how big and how fast they are. You realize as a freshman that you aren't going to be playing in any games. You're not that good because they're a lot better. And you have to come to a realization and an understanding you're not going to be playing in any games. In fact, most freshmen didn't start. They didn't start and they didn't even travel with the team when the team would travel to go and play someone else. They didn't travel. They stayed back. As a freshman, I would stay back and have to watch the game on TV. It's the only way I was able to watch that game. And us freshmen would gather together and we would have some food and watch the team play on TV. And although we weren't playing, when we would win, which I have to admit wasn't very often, but when we did win, us freshmen, we felt as if we were participants in that game, that we had won with them. We're watching them celebrate on TV as they're celebrating the victory. And we are there celebrating with them, even though we weren't there physically. Why? Because we knew that we had participated in some way in this victory. There was some kind of participation, even though we didn't play the game. How did we participate? Well, during the week, we were at practice, and us freshmen were on something called the scout team. The scout team, the job of the scout team was to run the other team's offense or defense so that the starters could practice against us. We would go out there as freshmen and we would let these bigger, older, faster guys beat up on us as freshmen. And they did. That was our job. Our job as a scout team was to help them, help these starters be prepared to win the game on Saturday. And even though we didn't play on Saturdays, when we won, as freshmen, we celebrated with the team because we knew that we had participated in some way in this victory. We were participants. And in a very similar way, that's how it is within the kingdom of God. Ephesians 4.11 talks about how Christ has given to the church some who are apostles and some who are prophets and some who are evangelists and some as pastor-teachers. 
for the equipping of the saints and the work of the service. But not everyone is an apostle. Not everyone is a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor teacher. We know that even today there are no more apostles or prophets. But we do have evangelists and pastor teachers today in the church. And it can be easy for believers to say, well, God has not gifted me as an evangelist. Or as a pastor teacher. So what can I do then to help proclaim the gospel and move the gospel forward? How can I help spread the gospel? How can I be someone who is used by God and participate in the spread of the gospel? I don't have a pulpit. I don't stand up on Sunday mornings and proclaim the word of God. You might have a a desire for it to proclaim the word of God. You may have a desire to go out and preach the gospel to others. And you, you want to even participate in helping spread the gospel and for the gospel to go forward. But you, you don't know how you can be used by God. And I hear this from a lot of people. A lot of people who struggle with thinking that they're, they're not doing enough to spread the gospel. Or they want to do more, but they don't know what to do. What can I do to participate in spreading the gospel? Well, this morning, if you've ever struggled with that, I want to help you to understand how you can be a participant in the gospel. I want to help you to see that even though you might not be a gifted evangelist or called to full-time ministry as a pastor teacher, how you can still be an active participant in the spread of the gospel. You see, last week we looked at a portion of Paul's joyful prayer for the Philippians in verses 3 through 5. And what was it that brought Paul great joy? Look at verse 4 of Philippians chapter 1. Verse 4. He says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. If you remember those two words there at the beginning of verse 5, in view could also be translated as because. Because. Paul was joyful in his prayer for the Philippians because of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, where was Paul during the time of the writing of this letter? Where was Paul? He was in prison in Rome, right? We know that. How do we know that? Look at the middle of verse 7. He says in verse 7, since both in my imprisonment. And then in verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ. And then verse 14, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Paul was in prison in Rome. But even though Paul was in prison in Rome... He still had a gospel preaching ministry while he was there in Rome. How do we know? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. 
Paul has arrived in Rome and after three days of being there, he calls together the leading men of the Jews and he begins to preach the gospel to them. Some of them believed. Some, being persuaded by the things that Paul spoke, they believed, but others did not believe. But look at what he says, uh, what it says in verse 30. Luke writes this in Acts 28, 30. And he, that is Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all to come to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Paul, for two years while he's in prison in Rome, still has a preaching ministry. Paul's there proclaiming the gospel because that's what God had called him to do. And no prison and no chains were going to stop Paul from proclaiming the gospel, right? He had a calling on his life. And he was going to make sure that he fulfilled that duty as a preacher of the gospel. But you have these Philippians who are 800 miles away from Paul. They aren't in Rome with Paul. They're on the other side of the Adriatic Sea, living their own lives. And yet, back in our passage in Philippians, Paul tells the Philippians in verse 5 that they are participants in the gospel from the first day until now. Look back at Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 5. In view or because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That means until this very day, that Paul was in prison in Rome, they had been participants in the gospel with him. For 10 years, it was 10 years before Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. 10 years ago is when Paul started that church in Philippi. And for 10 years he's saying, you have been participants in the gospel with me. Now did Paul stay? in Philippi for 10 years before he went to Rome to go to prison? He didn't. He had multiple missionary journeys in which he traveled around to all types of places, all over the place to go and preach the gospel. And yet he says, for 10 years, you have been participants with me in the gospel. As I said last week, this word participation in the Greek is the word koinonia. And it means fellowship. And it speaks of of a close relationship involving mutual interests and sharing. Speaking of Paul's use of koinonia here, one commentator says this, it denotes a cooperation in the widest sense. Their participation with the apostle, whether in sympathy, with suffering, or active labor, or in any other way. There was koinonia, there was fellowship, they were participating with Paul in the gospel ministry. And even though the Philippians are 800 miles away, there was still this fellowship that they had in the gospel, both Paul and the Philippians. They were still fellow partners with Paul in the gospel. They aren't actively there with Paul in Rome, preaching alongside of him, but they were active partners with him 
in the gospel. And notice that phrase there, in the gospel. You see that in verse 5? In the gospel. John Kitchen speaks of, of the prepositional force here. And he says it could render into the gospel. He renders it this way and says, into the gospel. That you are participants with me into the gospel. Meaning, it's a full, earnest dedication to the good news of Jesus Christ. That was the life of the Philippians. They were dedicated to the gospel. Full participants. Even though they're 800 miles away from Paul, they are full participants with Paul in the gospel. This was an an active cooperation in promoting the gospel. They didn't just believe the gospel, but their life was fully committed to the gospel. And it's shown by their participation with Paul in the gospel, even though they physically weren't there with him. So how can someone be a partner? How can you be a partner? How can you be an active participant in the gospel? Even though you may not be standing up and preaching in a pulpit, even though you may not go out to a street corner with a megaphone and stand up on a box and proclaim the gospel to everyone in Minneapolis. How can you be a participant in the gospel? Well, this morning I want to give you five ways. Five ways believers can be partners in the gospel. And we're going to see this from the Philippians as they're faithful partners with Paul in the gospel. The first way that you can partner in the gospel, number one, is through faithful praying. Through faithful praying. In Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 19. Verse 19, Paul says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that the Philippians were praying for him. He knew that. And he knows that he's going to be delivered. He knows that he is going to be delivered from prison in Rome. But what does he mean by deliverance? What does Paul mean when he says this deliverance is going to happen? That he knows that this will turn out for his deliverance. What does he mean? Well, it could mean that he knew that he was going to be delivered physically from execution by Caesar. Or it could mean spiritually. A spiritual deliverance. Meaning even if they kill him, he will be delivered and Christ will be exalted through his death. Because notice what he says at the end of verse 20. Look at this. At the end of verse 20. He says, but that with all boldness, Christ even will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. Notice this, whether by life or by what? Death. By life or by death. Whether they let me live or even if they kill me, I'll be delivered. Deliverance is coming. You see, Paul trusted in the sovereign hand of God and he believed exactly what he wrote in Romans 8.28 and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. 
to those who are called according to his purpose. Paul believed that promise. And he knows that God is going to deliver him. Whether it's physically or spiritually, he is going to be delivered. Whether physically from Caesar or spiritually, going to be with Christ, which is what he desires as well, right? In verse 21, for me to live, or for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But look what he says in verse 23. But I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Uh, That's deliverance. (laughs) They'll take my life and I'm going to go be with Christ. I'll be delivered. But I know that God works all things together for good to those who love him. Whether I live or whether I die. Notice how this deliverance would come. Notice what the means of this deliverance was. Look at verse 19. He says, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Through your prayers. Paul knew that the Philippian church was praying for him. And he knew that God would answer their prayers. As one commentator says, in the mysterious workings of God, he graciously hears the cries of the saints for Paul and grants deliverance. God does grant deliverance, which was obviously a physical deliverance here, right? It was a physical deliverance. He was eventually delivered from prison in Rome. But Paul knew that the Philippians prayer would be answered and that he would be delivered and that no matter what the outcome was the gospel was going to go forth because even as Paul stood there before Caesar what was Paul going to do make a defense for what the gospel Caesar let me tell you why I'm here (laughs) Let me tell you this good news that I've been preaching to everyone. He's going to proclaim the gospel. And even if that meant death, he knew that the gospel would be proclaimed and he would be delivered. But if he was delivered physically, then he would be able to go out and preach the gospel to more people, which is exactly what he did, right? But Paul's point here is that the means by which his deliverance would come is through their prayers and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He knew that they were praying for him. And he says, I am going to be delivered through your prayers and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul knew that these two work hand in hand. That prayer and the Spirit of Christ work hand in hand. We pray, but our prayers have no power in themselves to help apart from the work of the Spirit. We need the Spirit. And Paul knew that the Philippians had the Spirit. And he knew that the Philippians were praying for him. And he depended upon their prayers. They were his partners. And he needed their prayer. And as they're praying... They're investing in their partnership with Paul and bringing about Paul's deliverance. And this brought Paul great joy knowing that they were praying for him. 
It's what he says at the end of of verse 18. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers in the spirit of Jesus Christ. I rejoice because I know that you're praying and I know that the Father is going to hear your prayer. And that the Spirit is going to do His work as you're praying for me. And I rejoice in that. It brings me great joy. It brought him joy knowing that these Philippians were partnering with him in the gospel. John MacArthur said, Nothing is more encouraging to those in ministry than to know that fellow believers are holding them up before the Lord in prayer. It's so true. Knowing that fellow believers are praying for you as you're outdoing the work of the ministry that God has called you to do. There's nothing more encouraging and more joyful than to know that believers are praying for you. And the Philippians did this. They prayed for Paul as they participated with Paul in the gospel. The second way that you can partner in the gospel is through faithful giving. Through faithful giving. You see, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians after receiving a gift from them. Turn over to chapter 4 in Philippians. Chapter 4 and look at verse 18. Paul says this, but I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see, the church had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, and they sent a gift with him so that Paul's needs could be met. Remember, we read back in Acts 28 that Paul stayed for two years in his own rented quarters. Guess who had to pay rent? Paul did. You think the Romans were going to pay rent for a prisoner? They weren't going to do that. Paul had to pay for his own rent, his own rented quarters. How was he able to pay for that? He was able to pay for that because churches like Philippi had sent him gifts. They met his needs. And this wasn't the only time that they had done this. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11.9 and he says this, And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. Who was in Macedonia? The Philippians. Philippi is in Macedonia. He says the brethren came from Macedonia, Macedonia and they fully supplied my need. They supplied everything that I need. They were a part of those, the, the brethren who sent this gift to Paul. And what was he able to do because his financial needs were met? He was able to do what? Preach the gospel. That was the focus then of his ministry. All of my financial needs are met. Now all I have to do is go and preach the gospel. The church at Philippi, the churches in Macedonia, they've met my needs so that I can focus on spreading the gospel. 
which is exactly what he did. But the church at Philippi, they didn't just give financially, but they gave materially as well. Turn back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, this is the beginning of the church there in Philippi. And I want to show you the heart of these people. The heart of these believers in Acts 16, as this church is partnering with Paul in the gospel. In Acts 16, look at verse 15. It says this, and when, when she, Lydia, it's Lydia there, and when she, Lydia, and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. No, Lydia, you know, it's okay. We don't, we don't need to come and bother you and your family. No, come into my house. I want you to stay. No, Lydia, you know, we don't really. No, I want you to come and stay. We want to meet your needs. Okay, we'll go. <laughs> she prevailed upon them. All right, we'll come and stay with you. Paul and Silas and his companions who were there on this missionary journey with Paul to go and spread the gospel. Now they're there in the home of Lydia's. She provides for them housing. She opened her home to Paul as they're on this mission to go and preach the gospel. She opened her home to provide for these preachers. And then look at verse 34. The jailer is saved, and look at what it says there in verse 34. And he brought them, that is Paul and Silas, into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Even the jailer, who was about to kill himself, because Paul and Silas are released from prison and he knows, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. And he's about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas say, no, don't kill yourself. What must I do to be saved? Huh, I'm glad you asked. And they share the gospel with this jailer. And he gets saved. And what does he do in the middle of the night? He takes Paul and Silas into his own home and provides for them. This jailer who just hours before was an enemy of theirs is now a companion, a partner with them. And they set food before him. Verse 33 says that the jailer even washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. They had been beaten and then thrown in jail in Philippi. And they washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. This jailer and his household, they care for these missionaries. And they faithfully provide for these men and they take care of them, providing comfort and shelter and food for them. They're faithful partners in the gospel as they faithfully gave. A third way, third way that you can partner in the gospel is through faithful living. Through faithful living. Faithful praying, faithful giving, and now through faithful living. Turn back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse 14. Paul writes to the church at Philippi there and he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Then verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Notice how Paul points out their actions here and how they're living amongst a crooked and perverse generation, a crooked and perverse world. He wants them to prove themselves to be blameless and innocent. You must live this way. And you must show the world that you are a child of God above reproach. You must live differently than the world does. They're not to be mixed with the world. But the world should be able to look at our lives as believers and know that there is something different about us, right? We live differently. We don't live like the world. I was talking with someone recently who had said a co-worker of, him, of his told him, you know, you're different. You're different than your other co-workers. You know, you're a nice guy and you care for people and you do all this stuff. You're different. And he said, that's right, because I'm a Christian. An opportunity to proclaim the gospel. To let him know, yes, I am different. Not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is in me. That's why I'm different. You see, the world notices how different our lives are as we live out the gospel in our lives. It conveys something to them. And when we live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, then the world has no ammunition to attack the gospel that we believe and the gospel that we preach. And for these Philippians to live their lives as children of God above reproach, they are only making a greater case for the power of the gospel that Paul was preaching. And for everyone else who preaches the gospel, we're only making a greater case as we live our lives according to the word of God. Paul even says over in chapter 1 and verse 27, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your lives this way. One of the ways, one of the greatest ways that we can make the gospel look bad is by living our lives in a manner that does not reflect the gospel that we say we believe. Right doctrine without right character is hypocritical and ineffective. We must live our lives in a way that reflects the gospel that we have believed and the gospel that we preach. And we partner with others in the gospel when we live our lives in this way. When we live our lives according to the gospel, we are partnering with other believers in the spread of the gospel. 
You see, when, when unbelieving friends or family members of ours have someone come, another believer come, and preach the gospel to them, they should be able to think about our lives. And notice that our lives match the same gospel that they are preaching. But if our lives don't, they'll hear that gospel and they'll go, oh, you're one of them too, huh? Ineffective. But when we live our lives according to the gospel, as others then are out there preaching that gospel, they're going to think about us and they're going to go, wow, you're one of them too? You're just like my best friend, my family member, who lives according to that same gospel that you're preaching to me. You're different just like they're different. What's happening there? There's partnership in the gospel, right? By the way that we live. We partner with faithful preachers in the gospel by our faithful living. Well, along with this living, there's a fourth way. We partner in the gospel by faithful suffering. By faithful suffering. Look at chapter 1 and verse 29, Philippians. Chapter 1 and verse 29. Paul says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul is saying here, you saw me suffer for the gospel while I was with you in Philippi. What happened to Paul and Silas? They were beaten and they were thrown in jail while they were there in Philippi. And he says, and I know you guys saw that. You saw that happen to me. We were beaten, arrested, and thrown in jail. But now I know that you're suffering the same for the same cause. Which means you're partners with me in the gospel as we both suffer together. Now we don't know the extent of the suffering of the Philippians and what they were going through. Were they beaten and thrown in prison like Paul and Silas were? We don't know. Maybe some of them were. We don't know the extent of their suffering. But Paul tells them that suffering for the gospel is what they are doing. And Paul says, this suffering is a high honor. It's not a burden. To suffer for the gospel is a high honor. Because he knows that suffering advances the gospel. In fact, they saw it firsthand in Philippi. What happened? They were beaten, thrown in jail, and then who gets saved? The Philippian jailer, who's there watching them. Did the gospel advance through the suffering of Paul and Silas? You bet it did. And he's saying, look, through suffering together with one another, the gospel is going to advance. It's going to move forward. Paul even realized this in his his own life there in Rome. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 12. Look at what it says there. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What were his circumstances? He's in prison in Rome. 
My circumstances here have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And just as you suffer alongside with me, even though we're 800 miles apart, as you are suffering with me for the sake of the gospel, it is advancing. It's moving forward. And he wants the Philippians to know this. One commentator says their fellowship in the gospel, that is their active participation in the spread of the gospel for the time of their conversion until the present, meant that they were involved in the same conflict as Paul. The same conflict. They were suffering. And Paul wants them to know that that they're just partnering with him in the gospel. That's all that's going on here. You're a fellow partner with me. As we suffer together. When we suffer for the gospel, we are only joining forces with others who are suffering for the gospel. Did you know that there are believers right now currently who are suffering for the gospel? Who are in prison today for the sake of the gospel. And when we suffer, we are joining with them. And we're saying, I'm suffering alongside of my other brothers and sisters who are on the other side of the world today who are suffering for the gospel. We're partners in this together. We're on the same mission. We have the same goal. To preach the gospel so that the lost would hear about Christ. So that they would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. That's our mission. Paul knew that the Philippians were suffering alongside of him. And Paul rejoiced because of it. Because he considered it an honor to suffer for Christ. Isn't that what the apostles said too? Oh, this is an honor. Oh, we rejoice. We're suffering for Christ. Beat us. Lock us up. Guess what we're going to do? Keep preaching the gospel. What an honor it is to suffer for our Savior. Think about the suffering that He went through for us. He went through a lot of suffering for us to be saved. We need to realize that it's a privilege to suffer for the Gospel. And as we suffer, we do it as partners with others who are suffering for the Gospel so that we might advance the gospel and move it forward. Finally, a fifth way that we partner in the gospel is by faithful preaching. By faithful preaching. By faithful praying. By faithful giving. By faithful living. By faithful suffering. And by faithful preaching. And you might be thinking, well, Ace, I thought you said that we didn't have to be in a pulpit and preach the Word of God. Isn't that what you told us? I mean, I can partner in the gospel by faithfully praying and faithfully giving and faithfully living and faithfully suffering. I can do that. But I don't really like to, uh, you know, faithfully preach the gospel. What I'm saying here is you don't have to be in a pulpit or be on a street corner on a box with a megaphone preaching the gospel. But we are called to speak forth 
the gospel to the lost. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. I want you to notice again what Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 15. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. He says this, So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. And then look at the beginning of verse 16. Hold fast the word of life. Not only are we to appear as lights in the world by how we live, but also by what we say. By the things that we say. These two words here in verse 16, hold fast, could be better rendered as holding forth. And some of your Bibles have a footnote there. You'll see that. Where it'll say, instead of fast, in the footnote, it'll say forth, holding forth. The idea here is that we are to be holding out holding forth before the world the word of life. That's our duty. That's our job. We're to be giving this word of life out to others. What is the word of life? It refers to the scriptures. But more specifically, it refers to the gospel. That's the word of life. In Acts chapter 5, when Peter and the apostles were led out of prison by an angel, the angel took them out and said to them, in Acts 5.20, he said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Go give them the words of life. Preach it to them. What is that message? It's a message of the gospel, the good news that gives eternal life to all who believe. That sinners must repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the message that we must go and preach to the lost. We partner with others in the gospel by going out and proclaiming the gospel to the lost. Now, as I said, does this mean that you have to get a pulpit or a megaphone and go to downtown Minneapolis and stand on a street corner and preach the gospel? No, unless God calls you to do that. (laughs) Then go and do it. But it means sharing the gospel with family members and friends, co-workers, people that you run into. It means looking for those opportunities to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers and pray get on your knees and pray that God would give you boldness did you know that even the apostle Paul asked for prayer for boldness get on your knees and ask God for boldness God give me boldness and open a door for me to proclaim the gospel and then watch and see how God answers that prayer Because He will. He will. Be ready. Because God is going to bring someone your way, an unbeliever your way, where you're going to have an opportunity to preach the gospel to them. 
And here's how it works. You preach the gospel to an unbeliever and they get saved. And then what happens? What happens with them? They join in the mission. They become a fellow partner with you. What are they going to do? Go and preach the same gospel that you preach to them. You see how that works? They become then a fellow partner with you and you have partnership and fellowship in the gospel as God saves them. You preach the gospel to them and then they go out and preach the gospel to others. And we're fellow partners in this. All for the sake of the gospel. To go tell unbelievers about Jesus. You never know how God is going to use your faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel to advance it for His glory. We just must be faithful. Be ready. Be faithful to proclaim it. And as we do proclaim it, we are partnering with other believers who are faithfully proclaiming this gospel as well. Listen, there are many ways that we can joyfully and actively participate in the gospel. It doesn't mean you have to be up in front of a congregation. It doesn't mean you have to be the, the president of some major ministry organization. It doesn't mean you have to be on a megaphone preaching the gospel to the whole city. You can actively partner in the gospel as you faithfully pray, faithfully give, faithfully live, faithfully suffer, and faithfully proclaim the gospel to the lost. And as we do this together, then we will be able to step back and see how God is doing His work through us as we remain faithful to Him. And when we see God moving and we see God ad advancing the gospel and saving people through the gospel, it brings us great joy knowing that we have been participants with God in preaching this gospel to the lost. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, magnificent, amazing gospel message that you've given to us. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here, who are faithful to live out this gospel message in their lives. Father, we can see an amazing work that you continue to do through our church. Father, I know that there are people who are here today because another fellow brother or sister came to them and preached the gospel to them and invited them to church and they showed up to Faith Bible Church and they saw how we live, that we are different than the world. And Father, we know it's all because of you and what you have done in our hearts. It's because of the work that you are doing as you have promised to build your church. Father, I thank you for 
my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here who live faithfully according to your word. And I pray that you would continue that sanctification process in their lives. That you would continue to grow them and sanctify them in your word. That we together would be participants in the gospel. As we faithfully live according to the gospel. And as we faithfully preach this amazing message that you've given to us to proclaim. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in it. And that as we see the work that you continue to do in the lives of your children and even in the lives of the lost and how you bring them to you, Father, may we rejoice together with each other knowing that it is all by your hand, and it's all for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.